And the Grammy goes to scientists and engineers, Killer Mike. I want to thank everyone who dares to believe that art can change the world. So thank Dre, thank Future, thank Aaron, thank all the producers on here, but everyone in this room, it is our responsibility to keep using our imagination to shape and form the world. Thank you, and I hope it's not the last time I see you tonight. I think I'm gonna hurl! And if you were ready to hurl, I can say I would not blame you. I was ready to hurl. Hi, everyone. Dr. Paul here with another scintillating podcast dealing with worldviews. Thanks for stopping by. Plan on being here for the next, oh, roughly an hour, telling you what's on my mind as we deal with people like Big Mike, actually Killer Mike, woo yeah, that was Killer Mike getting his award last night at the Grammys, did you watch? I didn't, <laughs> But I did find his little story somewhat interesting, as well as his commentary. You see, Killer Mike was arrested right after he got done getting his award last night. That's the type of clientele that are showing up at these narcissistic award shows where everybody pats each other on the back thinking they've done something wonderful for the world. It really has just kind of become a big joke. And frankly, I don't know who would even dare to even watch this garbage anymore. Maybe I'm just getting old. But whatever the case, thanks for joining me here. Yeah, uh, Mr. Killer Mike. He was uh, sharing a worldview, in case you missed it. Yeah, well, the, the arts are going to change the world, and, you know, all you people out there who, who believe that otherwise, well, you're just wrong. He won a, uh, a Grammy for uh, a song or an album. I think it was his song, uh, Scientists and Engineers. Have you ever listened to this garbage? I didn't even know who Killer Mike was until last night. And then I said, well, you know what? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go check out what the latest lyrics are in this just wonderful song. Scientists and engineers. And this is what's going to change the world. Communication coming in. <laughs> uh, that's not how it starts. It actually has this neat little intro here. Ooh, hey, yeah, hey, hey, oh, yeah, hey, oh, hey. Standing in the rain, standing in the rain. Washing all my sins, washing all my... Then he just stops. And the streets ain't the same. They spin one time, they'll spin again. Spin again, spin again. Go make love to an angel. Make love while the devil in my well, the devil in my head. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Then he goes on. Uh, actually, there's three parts to this. There was it's verse three that I think is just really 
just inspiring. This is what's going to change the world. Music, computers, robbers and looters and looters with shooters and shooters with Rugers and Rugers, uh, shooters with Rugers. <laughs> CDs with my tutors. And my tutors taught me a terrible miracle. You can lie, cheat, and still kill in America. Be celebrated like Captain America. Blanket, I'm with it. Let's get it. The blank part starts with an F. This nigga and Nigris and Bentley Valentin in Lennox. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. Man, I'm a million with the children. So I never chillin'. I got make millions. I used to be dope with the dealing, but that's got a ceiling. We know the usual ending. <laughs> I just, I, this is what's going to change the world? What, are we, uh, are we going to make this a bigger uh, outhouse? A commode, a toilet? Than it already is? Well, let's flush that baby. Because it's not worth keeping. Uh... Telling people and the niggas get rich and go bitch and go fail and go snitch, then up f up the family and the friends and on. This is not going to change anything. It is garbage. It's garbage. It it's rooted in hell and propagates the same. You know what's really going to change the world? When God's people get back to God's book and proclaiming what God has to say. It's as simple as that. When you can pick up the Bible and proclaim it in a convincing and authoritative way to people who need to hear it. Killer Mike needs to hear the gospel. He needs to clean up his potty mouth along with the rest of the people that were at this award and start living right. Until then, all they're doing is compounding the hell that is on earth today. Well, but it's not that, oh, it's a potty. It's a commode. It's an outhouse. You know, you don't go around saying, had to, had to get that hate nigga from near me. I do not move like a regular Joe. I'm not moved by no regular Joe. I do not wish no for no regular life. I do not marry a regular wife. You think I'm losing? You smoking a pipe? You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is just outrageous garbage. You know, it's just him. I, I could have picked a whole bunch of them that were like this, that were getting their awards. And of course, Taylor Swift, she's out there getting her next Grammy or getting her Grammy and telling everybody about her next worthless uh, uh, album that's coming. It's, I don't know. It's like wallowing around in a pig pen. So let's quit wallowing around in the pig pen. And let's get back to what is going to transform the world if Christians put it to practice. And I want to thank you for being with me. I, 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 I don't do this unless there are people who are actually listening. And uh, there are, and they're around the world. I want to thank you all. Uh, in fact, we've got, what, four or five, four or five new uh, followers of Four of them look like they've got, uh, mm, uh, it looks like they're just anonymous. One is by the name of Felix. Felix, welcome to the program. Uh, I hope you'll share this with others. It needs to be heard. God needs to be heard. Uh, in light of all the trash that's out there today that's leading people down in the sewer. We're in Romans chapter 3. 13, we're on the back end of it, starting in verse 8 today. We're going to finish this up and then keep on moving. We're almost done. We can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel here of what the Christian Constitution is all about. Many of you have been with me for months as we've been discussing this. I was this uh, episode 35 or something like that? Just dealing with the book of Romans, that's all. Dis discussing what Christianity is. Not what people want to dream it up to be and people wear their Christianity on their sleeve. 
Paul up to this point in Romans chapter 13 has been talking about submission to governmental authorities. And I know that probably set some people's hair on fire, <laughs> you know, especially when they live under regimes like we do here in the United States, under a, uh, a dictatorial leftist government. What? I thought everything was free in America and everybody, well, dream on. We have an abject moron that's in the White House right now. And unfortunately, God gave him to us. God gave us the moron. And you know why that is? Because too many in America have become morons themselves. It's not to say that everybody has. But it was enough to allow somebody like him to take up space in the White House. God gave us exactly what we deserve. And if we don't change that by repenting, we're, we're going to get him again. We're going to get somebody even worse. Oh, but Donald Trump is the Savior. Donald Trump is a human being. He's a little better than Joe Biden, but the, the problem you know, when it comes to solving the problems, I should say, is not who you put in the White House. It's what goes on in everyday households and how Americans, and this pertains to all people really around the world, because we're all created in God's image. It's what God's people are doing in their homes that's going to make the difference. And right now, I I mean, yeah, you could put Donald Trump in there, and like I said, he'll be marginally better. But just remember, he's only going to get four more years, and then what? Look at all of the crap that's coming down the pike. Look at all those that were running against him, in supposedly within the grand old party. There are a bunch of leftists too. Unless God's people get back to God's book and get on their knees before God and humbly repent and have a renewal of their mind, as Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12, the United States is going to be just like the next communist country. You're going to have a tyrannical dictator. And whereas, you know, the founding fathers based the founding of the country upon Judeo-Christian principles, upon the Bible. I don't care what these leftists say. Oh, it didn't do anything. Yes, they did. There is no other objective standard by which men can live and still be successful without having some tyrannical dictator coming along and destroying everything. There is no other standard. God has given this to us. Are we going to obey it? And part of that, once again, was submitting to government authorities. That's how Paul started out Romans chapter 13. But as I explained, that's for good. It's not just for anything. If, if the ruler happens to be corrupt and he's telling God's people to act corruptly, to act in an anti-Christian way, then they are to stand resolute against that. Some people go, oh, well, I thought that just meant that. No, it doesn't mean just anybody. That's it. Paul goes on and he talks about how the Christian is supposed to support a godly government. Does that mean that some people, some Christians should be involved in that? Sure, why not? If you've got the capability and the wherewithal and you want to be in that leadership position, do it with fervency and zeal to the honor and glory of God. More power to you. It's through the government that Christians are supposed to support it with their taxes and so on and so forth. That when it comes to punishing evil, that's the civic or civil government's responsibility. But then Paul says, if you have your Bible, and I always encourage those who listen to get 
get your Bible and follow along? Starting in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, the apostle Paul says, oh, no one, anything. He's just got that talking about, you know, paying what is owed to your government authorities, taxes and, and revenue and respect and honor and so on and so forth to those whom God has erected for the specific purpose of conducting business in a governmental setting with the people so there's not chaos. It's only when those who have been appointed such positions have walked away from God that you end up with chaotic situations. That being the case, I mean, if if we have those that are living godly lives or conducting government, which is going to destroy the whole idea that a lot of secularists today, and I've pointed this out before, uh, a separation of church and state. No, wrong. God is the one who appoints government to be run to his honor and glory. You can't separate them without having total tyrannical chaos. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other. Wow. Stark revelation there. Can you imagine those that are voted into office loving those who voted them into office? You're to owe no one anything except to love each other. You know, the Apostle Paul had started or had alluded to this in the previous chapter when I talked about hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. Now, like I said, he's just got to talk about government authorities. There is so much hypocrisy in politics today that it's enough to once again, you know, make you want to throw up. I'm going to hurl! Yeah. Like I said, can you imagine government authorities loving their people and, and doing what is best for them? Because by doing so, he says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Not only, of course, he, the Apostle Paul's talking about here the the law of God, in the general sense, and the Ten Commandments. He's going to be alluding to the back half of this here in, in verse 9. But if, you, if you're loving your constituents, those who are paying the taxes, those who are being obedient to government authorities, then you fulfill the law. The, the word here, fulfill, is a blue perfect, actually a perfect verb, means that the effect continues on indefinitely. The principle of love. We, we, we want to uh, think of love in kind of an emotive way, feeling warm and goopy and sloppy and whatever, and you listen to most songs, love songs to get today. That's how it's usually portrayed in a sexual context. Well, that's not what love is necessarily all about. It's about having an affectionate, devoted sense of being, of consideration for someone else, wanting their best or wanting the best outcome for them, uh, giving yourself over to their welfare. Not that you're going to put them in a welfare state like the so many governments want to do today so that they can rule over the people with an iron fist. That's not love. Paul says for the commandments, he's alluding to the Old Testament here. We'll just go ahead and read through the rest of this. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hours come for you 
to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. For the commandments, verse 9, all of these deal with human relationships. The, actually, he jumps in here, and he does not include a couple of the commandments, except in a roundabout way when he says uh, any other commandment. But if you go back and take a look at the Ten Commandments, he's quoted the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, and the uh, tenth commandments here. He left out the uh, part about honor your father and your mother, and uh, number nine, you shall not uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. But like I said, he's wrapped this all up. He kind of uh, summed it all up by saying any other commandment. What is? But these are dealing with human relationships. Each one of them, if you if you stop and think about it, are the antithesis of what love is about. And yet, in <laughs> when it comes to adultery, murder, theft. Coveting, and really, if you throw in the other two, bearing false witness and honoring your father and your mother, they're the antithesis, they're the polar opposite of what love is. And yet, in society today, they're embraced, they're normalized, they're acceptable. Oh, we, you know, if we take people to court and whatever, and Maybe we get a big settlement and all that kind of stuff, and we parade ourselves before the, the, the boob tube people and all that kind of stuff. Well, we might get kind of a thing, kind of justice, and then we can talk about how people are racists and homophobes and whatever, and, you know, make up our own neologisms here to, to demonize those who don't go along with our sins. And we think we've done something right. No, it's right back here. You're to owe no one anything. We're to fulfill the law by loving people, by refraining from these illicit relationships like adultery. I mean, if you, here in the United States, you you flip open or go to the internet or whatever it used to be, you know, you go to, the, every time you go past the a checkout stand at some store, there was something from the National Enquirer dealing with some kind of illicit, adulterous relationship. There's one right now I've seen on the New York Post site several times between two broadcasters here. Uh, I think both of them were on uh, the Today Show or something like that. Uh, how they left their spouses and their kids so they could go philandering. And people were flocked as, oh, this is just such a great thing. It's stunk. And yet it was being glorified. You shall not murder? I, I just got in quoting you some, some lyrics from Killer Mike where he's talking about murder. The amount of thuggery that takes place in the rap world is mind-boggling at times because it's glorified. And yet we want to turn around and say, well, that's, that's the white person. That's, that's the racist. That's the, you know, the KKK people. That's all those MAGA people out there. They're the, they're the, no, they're not. You know, every once in a while, I'll uh, have a little chit-chat with my brother who lives in probably one of the more murderous cities and close by to the most murderous city in the United States. And he kind of jokingly, although I can, you know, detect the sarcasm in it all, talks about how in the black neighborhoods, they make it a sport of shooting each other. And there's hardly a day that you can't, you know, go you know, to the internet and find out 
there in the city of Chicago, which is where I was born, by the way. Never lived there long enough to be shot at. But every day, somebody is killing each other. And it's generally within the black community. Oh, you're just being a racist. I'm not being anything. I'm telling you the truth. And until people start waking up to that, they're just going to keep on killing each other. They're not loving each other. I love to kill my neighbor. Oh, that's that's real God-honoring. You shall not murder. Plan it out. You shall not steal. That's a big one today as well. You know, I remember when I was a real small little boy, when I was about five, going into the five of dime, it was the Ben Ben Franklin store. You walk past all the candy goods, they were out in the open then. And I remember when I was a little boy taking some and nobody knew about it until I got home and then mom found out about it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And uh, before Dr. Paul was Dr. Paul, <laughs> Paul's butt was in hot water. Mom took him back down to the Ben Franklin and gave it back and had to apologize to the store owner. We don't do that today. We applaud it. All this, you know, certain people that, you know, uh, they're, they're, they've got some, you know, moral gumption about themselves and they won't steal. But like over here in the city of Dallas, my the city next to Fort Worth here, the, the district attorney, he's not going to prosecute anybody that steals stuff up to 750 bucks. And how many times have you seen this type of a thing on television, whether it's in L.A. or Chicago or Philadelphia or whatever, around the United States? Maybe it's in a city in a country where you're at listening to today, where theft is condoned. Well, you see... The economic situation is so bad that they've got to go out and do this type of a thing. No. Wrong. It's when that becomes acceptable that the rest of society suffers for it. That business is going to go out of business. And then who's who, who are they going to steal from next? These are relationships. Stealing from your neighbor is not to be condoned, is to be condemned. And you shall not covet. Covet's like wanting something that doesn't belong. It's kind of wrapping all these up into one. You won't covet what your neighbor has. You know, lusting after it. I've got to have it. i got to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, was the expression growing up in my neighborhood. If they had it, I got to have it. No matter how much it might put me in hawk or how much I might have to steal in order to keep up with them. That's not love. And in the other commandment, honor your father and your mother. I, I uh, posted something here, oh gosh, probably two or three months ago, probably dealing with honoring your father and your mother, putting them up on a pedestal. They're the only ones you're ever going to have. Now, in some instances, mom and dad are not honorable. They're disgusting. They're the ones that are abusing their kids. And that be the case, we get back to the civil authorities. Their butts should be sitting in jail. If they're abusing their kids. I saw here, here what, what, a week ago, a mom taking her daughter in to get puberty blockers. And they show part of the procedure and the little girl crying because uh, the medical technician who was a pervert was in planting some kind of drug to prevent her through from going through puberty. 
that mom and that doctor should be sitting in prison. And that daughter should be in foster care, Christian foster care, where she can grow up to be a young lady, a woman, as God created her to be. But I understand that, you know, about the honoring the father and the mother. But the thing is, we live in a society today where we 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 don't do any we too many sons and daughters when they get to a certain age these days they walk off and leave mom and dad they don't ever visit them and then they get older and then they go ahead well let's just go ahead and put them in a in a home a nursing home and go off and forget them and then steal with steal from them in the meantime mom and dad might get a little, little on the mental edge where they're not thinking as clearly as they used to, then the son and or the daughter steal from them. That's not honoring them. That's you being dishonorable. You're being a wretch. You're to be there to honor, put them up on a pedestal, love them like they loved you when they brought you into the world. And, of course, the other commandment is bearing false witness. Lying, slander, defamation, because we just don't like that person. And then we use the law to destroy them. That's, that's, bearing, that's, that's bearing false witness. You're making crap up out of nowhere. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the question. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? We've kind of discussed a little bit about love. Wanting the highest good for someone else, even if that means sacrificing, you know, part of maybe your livelihood to make sure that somebody else is honored, put up on a pedestal. But who's your neighbor? Is that just a person that lives next door to you? The answer is no. You know, I was thinking about this, and I'm going, uh, how is this not unlike what Jesus said when he uttered what amounts to what some have labeled as the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Your neighbor would be anybody that you come into contact with. Another human being. Are you treating them like you want to be treated? Because it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I sometimes think, that the reason why this doesn't necessarily resonate with a lot of people because they don't like themselves. They don't just don't love themselves. They don't like themselves either. They're embittered. This sin in their life has so ground them down where they are just ugly intellectually, morally, spiritually, all the time. They're embittered by life itself. Some of them don't, some people don't get very far along before they just go ahead and self-terminate. They know nothing about Jesus, and the church has left them to die. How many times have I talked about that here? You know, it's not that there's not just the disenfranchised Christian. There are those that Christians don't reach out at all. Oh, well, we'll go down and we'll we'll work in the soup kitchen. Well, that's fine. What about your coworker? Uh, we'll uh, go down to the uh, the abortion clinic. Uh huh. And what about your uh, what about your next door neighbor? What about the person you play ball with? Do business with? Go to the ballpark with. Uh, what what about just the average schmo? You have anything to do with them? We're supposed to, you know, 
go along with, literally is what the word means, go along with the lowly. That's what Paul just got done talking about earlier here in the uh, book of Romans. Or do, do we have people that are just so high and mighty in their mind and that they have forgotten where they have come from? They can't love their neighbor. <laughs> Most of them don't pay attention to them. They're so spiritual that they never mention the Lord Jesus Christ except in some kind of pious platitude. Be warm and be filled, as the book of James would talk about. Then go about your way. I'll pray for you, but I won't lift a finger to help you. Not a finger. And I'll do this with the person that's the vagrant, with my mom and my dad, with my next-door neighbor, with my colleague at work. I don't care. I'm a Christian, and I love you, but I'm just not going to do anything for you. Not a thing. And God's going to open up the pearly gates one day. He's going to let me walk in, and I'm going to sit down next to him, and I'm going to rule the world with him because I'm so spiritual. And then God pukes. The Bible says here in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. And how many times do we see just the polar opposite going on in the world today? We're so involved in the Super Bowls coming up next weekend. We don't have time for a neighbor. We've got to get our vacation plans together. We must be activists for whatever cause, the black cause, the homosexual cause, the whatever cause. The We've got to make sure that global warming comes to an end and climate change doesn't destroy the world. We must save the penguins. And by doing so, we kick our neighbor to the curb. In fact, many of those neighbors are expendable. It'd actually be better off if they were dead. Because you see, if we get rid of them, they won't be leaving such a big carbon carbon footprint upon the earth. And when we do that, we forget that loving that person is fulfillment of the law. Well, you see, I just don't believe God exists. God's not paying attention. That's your God. That's not my God. And when you start asking him questions, who's your God? They can't tell you. I'm just spiritual. Oh, really? Yeah, they were real spiritual back at that time, too, when Paul was writing about the, you know, the deities, the, the Roman gods, and the pagan deities over there in Corinth and Ephesus and the like. Yeah, yeah they were real spiritual, too. There were real spiritual at the Grammys. <laughs> you, you, it, the excuses are almost infinite for not loving your neighbor. And yet this is the revolutionary principle that Paul's talking about here. In the book of Romans, he says, you know what? If you're a Christian, this is your obligation. Love doesn't do a wrong to a neighbor. In fact, if you love them, you fulfill the law. What God has required of you. After all, the law still, Christian, serves as a moral guide in how you are to not only treat your neighbor, but how you are to behave yourself. Oh, but I just live under the grace of God. I haven't got anything to do with the law. Then you're a liar. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to your neighbor. You're lying to everybody else with an earshot of what you're saying because it is absolute drivel. The law is a guide for you. Doesn't mean you're going out there sacrificing bulls and all that kind of stuff. It's not salvific in nature, but it is moral in nature. You're not to be committing adultery. You're not to be out there 
murdering people and stealing from them. You are to honor your father and your mother. You're not to covet what your neighbor has. You're not to bear false witness against him. Those are just the starts of what it means to fulfill the law. And you do this by loving your neighbor. In fact, you know, Paul has written a whole section on this very thing when it comes to the idea of love. Uh, He wrote it to a church that was having difficulties with its moral stance and some, some of its confusion, some of the behavior within the church itself. And he wrote this over in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And oftentimes this gets butchered. We leave out a whole gigantic section of what love is about by ignoring the overall context. But this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. If you want to read this, pick it up and read it. Get your Bible out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says in verse 4, after he's just got done talking about, you know, the whole idea of speaking in tongues and having faith and all this kind of stuff, he doesn't have love, then, then those things don't mean squat. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then he talks about these other gifts like prophecy. They'll fail. Tongues, they're going to fail. They're going to pass away. You know, if if you're going to pursue anything, even if the most important ones, whether we're talking about faith and hope, the greatest of them is love. It's not goopiness. It's not emotional, you know, sexual satisfaction. It is absolute affectionate concern for someone else. It is the polar opposite principle of what you see so much of in the world today. We don't love others, oftentimes because we don't love ourselves. We don't understand what God has done by his love to redeem us. It is what makes salvation what it is when we understand where we were at before God redeemed us. And I think this this is almost since this is the back end of the book of Romans, it's the perfect setting to even talk about it because Paul has spent chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter talking about how decrepit we are without God's love and what God did to redeem us. And these these so-called Christians today talk love, don't understand it because they don't understand their sin, their own lostness without God. And hence, they don't love their neighbors either. And so then Paul, you know, he kind of drives this home even further here in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The word here, sleep, is from what we often use or translate as hypnosis. You know the time is near. It's time to wake up. Why? Because salvation. You know that thing, that rescue thing that Paul has talked about throughout the book of Romans? You know, Jesus came to save that which is lost. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself that you should boast. It is by the grace of God. You know that kind of salvation? Something you can't do for yourself because you are totally spiritually incapable? It's nearer to us now than when we first believed. Each passing day, each passing moment, Each passing heartbeat, a human being, if they are alive and walking, 
on the earth today is one step closer to eternity. In fact, I did a little one-minute video one time on that very subject. Every heartbeat you take, you're one step closer to eternity. It's time to wake up. If you happen to be a blood-bought Christian, it's time to wake up. Your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And that being the case, what are you doing by not loving your neighbor? Jesus said it was the second part. He said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is, is equally as important when he's questioned about which law or which command was the most important. And he said to love your, love your neighbor as yourself. For in doing so, this is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is what they wrote about. And when we, you know, some people like to say, well, God is love. Well, Jesus is too. And Jesus just happens to be the theme, the subject of the Bible. When the prophets and the, and the, and the law and the writings, when the prophets got down and started writing this stuff out as God directed them by his spirit, Talking about Jesus and the love of God. This is what it's about. This is what Christians should be focused upon. But oftentimes, like I said, we get so caught up in all kinds of just distractions and nonsense, bad theology, uh, caricatures of what the church is supposed to be about, that we completely miss the message. In fact, this is what uh, one of the condemnations of one of the churches in the book of Revelation, the, the church at Ephesus, you've, you've left your first love. A lot of people like to, to break those down and say, well, this is just, you know, different uh, uh, dispensations. No, 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 no. You take a look at those, and really what you've got there is... Uh, different characteristics of the church that, that has been with us since the church was first found, was first developed, was first created. There are churches today that have left their first love. They're awake. They're, not, they're awake. They're asleep. And they're cozy, and they like it that way. Not realizing that with each passing day, they're going to stand before God in judgment to give an account of themselves. Why did not you, with all of the gifts that I gave you, why did you not exercise them to just, if, if for no other reason than just to love your neighbor? Why? And there's going to be some people that are going to be sorely disappointed. They're going to find out all that money they collected or... Uh, vacation time they took, or all those wasted hours they spent in Sunday school talking about sweet nothing is going to blow up on them. They're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be ashamed of themselves. Paul says in verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, I think you've really got to keep going further here. He's kind of reiterated just how far along our salvific journey has gone. And there are people, and the Roman church in this particular instance, but we could, once again, we could apply that to just about any time period throughout Christian history. There are going to be church members that have involved themselves in this, what I was saying, what I think is an evil, immature way of uh, portraying the Christian life. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's time to wake up. So then let us cast off these works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ is what he said earlier in verse 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
He had also said, uh, he said, yeah, well, that's what he's going to say there in verse 14. That's putting on the armor of light. And over in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, there's actually a uh, another list dealing with this very thing, how we're going to live out this life while we are going through the trials and temptations that we're going through. Paul told the Ephesians over in Ephesians chapter 6, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. That's living the Christian life. It's not sitting around saying, you know what, if I give $1,000 to Joel Osteen or some clown like that, that I'm going to get $2,000 back or $10,000 back, and I'm going to live in a nice house, and my cancer is going to disappear and all. That is garbage. It's garbage. That's not Christianity. You are to walk Properly, as he says in verse 13 here, walk properly as in the daytime, walking in the Spirit of God, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ instead of in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Oh, heaven forbid that that. Paul would even mention this. Christians don't do these things. They do them all the time. It's an indictment. Orgies, carousing, rioting. Well, I haven't seen any of that. Uh, You don't know what goes on in the minds of many Christians that leads to this type of stuff in real life. Drunkenness. I mean, this orgies thing also deals with sexual immorality. Drunkenness. I don't know how many Christians I've come across in 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 life that say they've got a drinking problem. How many a pastor has gone down this road? Not in sexual immorality. Uh, literally, the the. Uh, Word here is coitus, obviously. Kind of going back to, you know, the adultery thing. How many pastors and or church leaders? I, 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 it just blows my mind how uh, some congregations can hire young men to lead young ladies in these some of these youth groups. It just blows my mind. But that's what it's talking about here. How many of them are in jail today? How many have ruined their marriages and or their lives? Because, well, they thought there was potential here. The young prepubescent teenage girl, all giddy about, well, the church, uh, the uh, assistant pastor has a crush on her. And and pretty soon they're in bed together. Let's just be blunt about it. And in sensuality, you know, literally the the ungodliness of all of that. We're not to be involved in that. And and then this quarreling and jealousy. Yeah, the Apostle Paul had said one of the major problems that the Corinthian church had was divisions and quarreling. Paul told talked to Timothy about this very thing as well. Over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, flip it over there real quick. And starting in verse 3, after he's told this young man, you know, to teach and urge these things, as a young pastor, 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And then he says he has an unhealthy craving for controversies and for quarrels about words. Some people seem to, they, they take that as, well, look how smart and important I am. It doesn't make you smart, it makes you stupid. Especially if you do it in a way where you're condescending to somebody else, somebody that you're supposed to be loving. I mean, I know all these big 85-cent words, but I don't use them to be condescending to people who are listening to me. In fact, oftentimes I avoid them. I'm trying to get you to understand what God has to say, not the big 85-cent theological word. But some people want to argue about that type of thing. And jealousy, jealousy is like envy, wanting once again, or coveting, wanting what somebody else has. And so then Paul wraps it up once again by saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was none of those things. This is who you're supposed to be emulating. You're supposed to be imitating. This is the person you're eventually going to be like if you are a genuine born-again Christian. God is sanctifying the Christian, turning him into the original man that he was supposed to be to honor and glorify God. Not somebody that was out there making provision for the flesh. The, the idea here for provision is to think about in advance, planning it out. You know, the apostle Paul had talked about thinking about certain things that uh, was to glorify God. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not about things that gratify the flesh. Literally, the word here is epithumia that makes you boil over in lust, and you've got to you've got to have an outlet some way. Yeah, my body is out of control. Kind of like what he talked about over in first uh, in the first chapter of Romans. Those who gave themselves over to it by denying God to start with, and then uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Pretty soon, they were off into all kinds of sexual immorality. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus and make no thought, forethought for the flesh to gratify the overboiling, the overheating, the lustful desires, the wrong kind of affections that people oftentimes confuse for what real love is and is nothing but lust. You know, loving your neighbor uh, encompasses a lifestyle. It's not something you just do today and forget about tomorrow. It's something that you owe, not only to your neighbor, but you owe to God as well because it has been commanded. Are you doing that? It's certainly something that you do need to think about in advance. It's part of being a Christian, not a hypocrite, somebody who is real and genuine. If you're going to owe anybody anything, love them. Love them unconditionally. In fact, you know what? By doing so, you may be the only Jesus they'll ever see until God redeems them, if that is his choice. I hope this podcast challenges you to do that. If it did, write me. Let me know. Podcast at capro.info. I'd love to hear your testimony. Maybe I'll share it with others here on another podcast in the future. And as the jingling notes, it's time to end this one. 
I hope you have a great rest of the day. Look forward to talking to you in the future. 